It's like, it's boring, isn't it? It's boring. I said, I'm going to keep it a secret from the uh, the listeners this week, but my beverage of choice is a Pacific Pilsner. It comes from Hawaii. It's called Mucho Aloha, which is a really lame name, but uh, it's a great can and a great beer. Okay, welcome everyone to episode 29 of Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. We hope you're all well. Uh, thanks for still listening, if you're still there. And James, uh, are you still there? Um, barely, barely. But um, getting by, man, getting by. Not the easiest of weeks here in the Tokyo metropolitan area. What's going on in uh, lovely Ireland? Not much, I'd say. Bit of a bit of the same old, same old. Autumn's begun. Everything else I can't be bothered talking about anymore, to be honest. I'm so sick of it all. So um, why don't we just crack on today? I think that's uh, a fine way to introduce the show. Let's do it. Well, we've called this episode Closed for Business, and I suppose um, it's pretty obvious why. Um, over the the last, well, it's months now, isn't it? Because we started back in, in, in April with the podcast. But um, I think, you know, we, we've touched several times and actually covered one or two of these places in more detail um, and I suppose in many ways, one of the reasons for beginning the project in the first place was really for me as a photographer, certainly was to create this kind of document of these places that are increasingly under threat from a variety of reasons um, and, you know, preserve them for posterity. And um, that's what we've managed to do. Um, and we've covered already, I think, Stick, uh, Jazz Room Stick in Shinjuku. We talked at length about the incredible Jazz Pepe, which, of course, had opened in 67 and closed a couple of years ago. Uh, luckily, we were uh, able to get to it before it did. And then we also mentioned the mysterious cabin in our Yokosuka episode where we uh, were tempted and taunted by the uh, most delicious lunch in town. But unfortunately, we never got past uh, the shutter uh, when we were down there that day. And we're not sure still to this day if indeed it was just closed or it is closed for good. We suspect perhaps that it has now gone. But um, we're going to cover a few different places on today's episode uh, that we've been to together, I think, uh, all of them. But uh, unfortunately, now all of them have in, have, in fact, since we photographed them and visited them, closed, which, uh, you know, I suppose in some ways not to be too sentimental, is part of, of life. I mean, it's part of urban redevelopment. It's part of gentrification and all these things um, that we experience living in the city. But I suppose it doesn't make it any less sad that they've gone, does it? No, not at all. And, you know, especially because you know that um, it's an environment that's so hard to replicate. Um, you know, the great jazz kisaten that we've have gone on at length about and the, the things that we love about them is that sort of lived in feel you know um, when you're going in there you're feeling a place that the owner and the regular customers have have been in for you know 20 to 30 years sometimes 40 sometimes even 50 years and when that's gone even if it reopens uh, sometimes you can't recapture that feeling and so you know, as not just a jazz fan, but as somebody that's living in Japan for pretty much my entire adult life, um, seeing that cycle and seeing these places slowly close down is certainly, you know, certainly a sad and, and uh, a sort of melancholic thing to think about. Well, that's brought me right down. God, how depressing. <laughs> can, can we even... Can we bring it up from here? I don't know. I mean, the very nature of the episode, I suppose it is a little bit sad, isn't it? I mean, 
On a positive note, I suppose there are many, many more hundreds of places that are still going. And as we've said in a few episodes recently as well, some that are really thriving. And we we did get a really nice surprise over the last few weeks, which hopefully we're going to finish with today Mm. uh, at the end of the episode. But let's start with um, the wonderfully named uh, Fat Mama. Classic joint. Um, What a great name as well, named after the Herbie Hancock tune. Um, Philip, I don't know if you remember uh, when we went to Fat Mama. I think I had been there once or twice uh, before, uh, but the owner there, you know, it was only open for five years. And I think we've talked uh, about other places that are built sort of as an extension of the owner's house. So they'll sort of do a bit of renewal of the first floor and make it into a cafe. So that's what Fat Mama was. And uh, I remember talking with him and him saying how, you know, he'd always dreamed of opening his own place. A classic story about the guy that retires and finally Mm -hmm. has time to do it. And yet, after only five years, um, he announced that he was closing. And I, you know, sort of delicately asked if it was a money thing, you know, were they just not making enough money? And he said, no, they were making enough money, but it was just that long term, he didn't think it was going to be viable in the next 10 to 15 years. And so um, he emptied the place out and turned it into a kind of a community space rec center for local neighborhood senior citizens. And I think, you know, we've discussed, especially on our talks going up north and our visits to the regions of Japan, how the demographics of this country are very, very unusual. Um, I think it's about right now 30% of the population are above the age of 65. And that's projected to go above 50% within the next 30 to 40 years. So that's a society that has never been seen in the world before, um, completely skewed towards people above the age of 65. And, you know, you can even see that in in my neighborhood here in Yokohama. Um, We have, this is just a small, regular neighborhood, and we have eight pharmacies, uh, five rehabilitation clinics, and four retirement homes in one neighborhood. There's one toy store. That tells you kind of all you need to know about the population issue of Japan. And so probably f- worth it's probably worth pointing out though um, that four of those eight pharmacies are to deal with your various ailments, isn't it? <laughs> I, I I suspect uh, a comment coming up about my visits to the jazz bathrooms was is that what that's uh, implying? <laughs> that um, I don't think anyone needs any more detail. I on think that. good good friends are familiar with that story. But uh, as we said, uh, back to Fat Mama, the owner. Um, anyway, he he realized that that just in his particular neighborhood they needed um, you know there wasn't really a close by sort of community center. There are a lot of those around Japan. And when talking with his friends and neighbors, uh, they decided that that would be a better use of the space than um, having it as a jazz cafe. So, I mean, you can imagine that we've not heard that story before, although he said he was going to keep a couple hundred records in there. <laughs> so, Oh, wow. What a compromise. They, yeah. I mean, it, it's pretty forward thinking, I suppose, and, and, and quite selfless, uh, particularly if you've opened up this business. I mean, talking about it not being viable, I'm a 10, 15 years, a long time, as we've learned this year, certainly. But, you know, <clears throat> I suppose um, the area that it's in, you know, it's a, not a particularly uh, slightly off, uh, not not unfashionable, certainly less fashionable neighborhood in Tokyo. So you don't imagine perhaps that the rents were particularly high. And you can see from the exterior shot as well, um, you know, it, it's got a little... Um, what is that? A stamp shop? Uh, is it like a hanko shop? Just on the left-hand yeah, side I, of it. I think that's what. Yes, a hanko shop. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it kind of been particularly high overheads as well. And I think from the photograph of him that we took, that uh, that's his son on the right, isn't it? 
Yes, yes. It was yeah. his, fa- his family tended to help out most of the time there. Yeah, so then you kind of expect, I suppose, that it would have kept going a little bit longer. But again, obviously, if there's a need for that sort of space in the community and, and that's the best way to use it, then you know, fair play that he made that decision. I suppose it's in a self, from a selfish point of view, it's a shame maybe that uh, they couldn't have come up with some sort of hybrid senior citizen uh, jazz Kisa, because let's face it, I mean, the majority of customers, with the exception of ourselves and a few other notables, generally tend to be in that sort of age bracket anyway, don't they? Well, yeah, we and I mean, I, I wonder exactly, uh, you know, if I'm ever near, it's not too far away from Megaro Station, which is pretty central. Mm. Um, so I could try to stop by because I, I don't know what exactly the plan for the rec center was going to be. And yeah, how different would it really be to the cafe right now where most of the customers were his age? Um, yeah. And it is just a shame. I mean, look how lovingly he put the records together in that cabinet, you know? It's beautiful, um, yeah. And, and you just think like, you know, well, I mean, we, we know that, as I said, you know, the demographics are changing. There's a need for these kinds of spaces, but but there's also a need for the jazz spots too. So, I mean, what's he going to do with all those records and all the, the photos? you got the Bill Evans portrait up there on the top right, which is lovely, you know? Is he just going to keep that in his house? Yeah, definitely a real shame. I love that spot, actually, Fat Mama. When you look at the photograph of the sound system, um, or at least the speakers, certainly, that has this TV positioned in between them, you can see actually quite old furniture. But not only that, how intense an experience would it be sitting right right in those front uh, seats that we can see again, as we've mentioned in previous places like Chigusa and others, where they're very clearly positioned to to face towards the speakers. I mean, I'd say if you're down in that front row, it's, it's got to be a pretty intense experience, senior citizens or not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Although maybe they're a bit hard of hearing, so maybe it wouldn't it be could so be, bad. It could, that could be the reason for the proximity, you see? We're picking it all apart. But yeah, Fat Mama was a nice place. I think we went, well, you can tell from the exterior shot, we definitely went uh, during the daytime, which um, is not uncommon, I suppose, for some of the places that we've been to. But uh, I remember it being a really nice place. Uh, we had a coffee there, had a chat with him. Really friendly vibe. And you can tell even just from the slightly bemused look um, when we asked them to take their photograph um, of the kind of people they are. Very friendly, uh, very approachable. And yeah, like you say, a bit of a shame uh, that it's gone, but in some ways nice that it's kind of um, metamorphosized into this uh, community space. And obviously, hopefully, a lot of other people are getting um, uh, some good use out of it uh, from for reasons other than perhaps just sitting listening to um, obscure jazz records. Well, I, Not- I have to say, I'm 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 a lot. Um, even though I was sad to see it close, I was I was a lot more accepting of it for the reason of opening a you know a neighborhood community center. Um, then the reason we have for our next joint, uh, why this was torn down, because um, I'll try to refrain from from uh, busting out to a lot of profanity as we talk about Mary Jane, uh, which is a place that, you know, was very, very important cafe uh, right next to Shibuya Station on the south side of Shibuya Station, which is not the direction that most people who visit Tokyo when they go to the famous Scramble or the Center Guy area that's on the on the west side. The south side was a little bit sleepier. Um, but Philip, you surely remember as you came off the, the intersection with the with the stairway, the pedestrian stair passageway. What do you call that thing? <laughs> a, a bridge? <laughs> pedestrian bridge? A pedestrian maybe? bridge, yes. There you go. Nailed it. Uh, yeah. Do that one again? Yeah, that's our <laughs> intro for this week then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is an area that I'm very familiar with because I, I spent a lot of my time in Shibuya, either there um, 
or or passing through. And I lived in Shimokitazawa, so I was in and out of there. My work was there for many years too. Mm. So it's an area that I was very familiar with. And you're right, it was it's probably um, the area. There's a couple of big hotels on that side of the station, but you know, it's maybe an area that people tend to go less to, or maybe it, it's a little bit more hipstery as if you walk along the tracks, it leads into Daikanyama, which, you know, sort of one of those ultra hip neighborhoods. But uh, a lot of guitar shops, around, I think, around that street as well. And, that's um, right. I, that's right. It was it was one of those streets that had about three or four different um, instrument stores. Um, it had not only Mary Jane on the same block, but it had one of the oldest remaining standing bar izakayas uh, down in the basement. This was a pretty well-known place. It had been open since the 50s. You know, the kind of joint where it's, you know, 200 yen for a bottle of beer and the and the floor hasn't been cleaned in the last two decades. Um, but it had sort of a, a mixture of old regular customers, but younger people who sort of enjoyed that old style of very local. Yeah. It was run yeah. by a family. And so having the same street with these, you know, these independent instrument shops, this beautiful old izakaya down in the basement and then mary jane a classical jazz kisaten and it's all been torn down uh to build yet another skyscraper shopping development which is now the fourth new one in the last seven years to surround shibuya station i mean these are just the most hideous disgusting tall buildings full of shops that nobody needs they're totally impossible to distinguish which one you're in so when you go down into the station it's completely confusing which building you're going to um and you know yet because of the power of the construction industry number one and the fact that the government officials in Tokyo and probably most of Japan really don't care about preserving older culture. So they're more than willing and powerful enough to just raise an entire city block and, and get rid of a place like Mary Jane that was, you know, really important to a lot of people, both musicians and fans, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, we probably don't want to get too sidetracked, um, you know, into the discussion, the wider discussions of why that happens in Japan. But I totally agree with you. I mean, if you've been to Japan, or certainly if you were in Japan 10 or 15 years ago and you go back uh, in the next couple of years and you pass through Shibuya, um, I'm fairly sure you won't recognize it. it mm. it's, it's changed just inconceivably in the, in the time, certainly, that I was there. And I know from going back uh, after a couple of years being away, uh, already there were even, even more changes. And I know they have a longer-term project to transform that entire area. And I suppose... You know, places like Mary Jane inevitably are um, are victims of this kind of uh, development, this kind of gentrification. It's interesting just to contextualize it, too, because we've certainly mentioned a few times, I think, about um, the idea that, you know, in Japan, these places would be protected and so on and so forth. But actually, interestingly, last week in Dublin, um, there's a very famous house which uh, belonged to... Uh, I suppose, a, a politician or a, certainly a revolutionary leader who was involved um, in the 1916 Easter Rising called the O'Rahilly. Uh, and it had stood in uh, for many, many years on this site uh, in a large park. And actually, the city council in Dublin had moved to uh, put it onto the protected building register. Um, and early, uh, early in the morning um, on, I think, Monday or Tuesday this week, developers just moved in and bulldozed the whole house. So it made me, you know, made me realize that, you know, nowhere really is safe, even if you have uh, a culture where supposedly at least these kind of buildings are valued for their historical and cultural value. And, you know, 
Japan really does not value the old. It's very much about the new. Probably the one exception is things like uh, temples. But I think, again, we've m- mentioned this before that, you know, a lot of temples uh, that you go into in Japan may seem very old and seem very authentic in inverted commas. But of course, in many cases, they've been burned down many times and often uh, repainted or indeed rebuilt on the same site. So sometimes it's just that illusion of age. But Mm. um, it's Mm. a real tragedy that Mary Jane went. I know we were there twice. Um, I I went with you once. Mm. And then I also went a second time uh, to meet uh, a big supporter of the project, a guy called Jerome Schmidt. Ah, Jerome, um, yes. Yeah, who, you know, is a big, big supporter of Tokyo Jazz Joints. And perhaps one of the maddest uh, Japanese, uh, cole- one of the maddest collections of Japanese records, uh, music, books, uh, and paraphernalia that I've ever come across. I've unfortunately only ever met him once. We are still in regular contact through mm. social media, but um, yeah, uh, interesting guy. And I, I always associate Mary Jane with him because I went to meet him um, <laughs> and, and a colleague of his there one night. Um, and I think that was the evening that actually uh, I took these photographs, which again uh, featured, not, I think... not the in, easiest place to, to photograph, actually, the way it was laid out. And if no, it was very just a couple awkward. of customers, it was really hard to move with the, the, that that shape of the room and the way the tables were. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard to get really any sort of... Um, any sort of angle, I suppose. And again, interestingly, even if you look at the photograph there, you can see that um, the guy on the sitting on the right with his head in his hands, very much that uh, look, has the look of a guy who's escaping the, the suffocating confines of an office job to me. <laughs> and so again, perhaps not, uh, not the sort of place you want to be capturing customers just in case, uh, you know, the wrong yeah. person sees the photograph. So it's very much that kind of vibe and uh, yeah. very, very classic uh, J- Tokyo Jazz Joints, rickety old staircase, you know, you wouldn't want to be coming down there um, yeah. at night after a few drinks, <laughs> um, I would say. But uh, yeah, gone. And uh, unfortunately... Yeah. Um, uh, that's it for Mary Jane. I mean, if you if uh, you want to read, uh, if any of the listeners out there, you want to read a little bit more about Mary Jane, and you can hear some testimonials from people who were regulars there. Um, I wrote an article about it when it closed. You can just Google that. It's it's uh, in the Japan Times newspaper. So just look up Mary Jane with my name. You should be able to find it. Um, got a good few quotes in there from people who'd been going there for forty years. Um, so you can imagine that, that they were extremely upset about it closing down. Um, yeah, you can also get that article if you go to the exhibitions page on tokyojazzjoints.com as well. Um, all the places that we've been featured in the media and various exhibitions and publications um, are all linked to that page. So go and check it out there and you should be able to find a link to it. Uh, one one other point about what you were saying about in Japan. Um, I remember, and, and this definitely applies to the next place we're going to go to, which is your old hometown of Shimokitazawa. Um, you might remember the great Donald Ritchie who wrote about film, art, and basically all things Japan. Um, a mentor to really a lot of us who wanted to settle in this country um, and learn how to approach living in a very different culture and society. Um, Well, when Donald Ritchie was, uh, a couple years before he died, he was asked to sign a petition against the redevelopment of Shimokitazawa, the station front, which you're obviously very familiar with. And he actually declined to sign it. And a lot of the people who were involved were quite upset with him. You know, oh, you of all people, you've lived in Tokyo for 55 years. You know, don't you, shouldn't you be the one to help us uh, sort of protect these things? But he he came back with a very interesting comment saying that, like, you know, it's because I've lived in Tokyo for so long. I've seen so many changes. This is about mm. the seventh version of Tokyo that I've seen. Mm. And there have been 70 more. 
So it's not a city like Paris or London or Moscow or you know Xi'an in China that will that will remain the same for two thousand years. That's never been what Edo or Tokyo was, and so I don't really see the point in protesting it. So just a I think it's probably viewpoint. it's probably worth pointing out as well, James. I mean, it's very easy for you know it's that classic thing, I suppose, of going traveling and and, and being disappointed that you know that you see a lot of what you recognize as your life in other cultures that you visit and this idea that, you know, things should stay the same for our benefit. And I suppose mm -hmm. as well, you know, living in Japan, as we know, you know, it's an earthquake culture as well. So everything that's built or anything that's created there, you know, there's always this undercurrent of at any point it could all just disappear into mm -hmm. it, literally into a hole in the ground and suppose. And so I suppose that, you know, there is that different approach to uh, regeneration and, um, you know, even with the things like houses, you know, generally speaking, houses are built to last 20 to 30 years. Whereas, you know, I'm currently sitting in a rented house in Dublin that was built, you know, 120 years ago and mm. probably will be here in another 120 years, you know, <laughs> right. uh, provided I don't wreck it. You know, so <laughs> it's, you know, it is a different perspective. And I suppose sometimes, you know, it's easy maybe to say, well, you know, we want it to stay. We want this ideal idealized or romanticized version mm -hmm of Japan, you know, to remain as it was. I remember you talking once about this, having a discussion like this with your father-in-law about, about Showa-era Japan. Do you remember telling me that story? Yes, yes, uh, because I was, there was one of these sort of retro, um, you know, kind of standing bar type places with the little small dishes, yakitori or whatever, a draft beer. And, and I said, hey, why don't we why don't we stop by that? That looks kind of nice. And he was like, why would anybody want to drink in a place like that? Every place was like that when I was growing up, and they were filthy and disgusting. It just reminds me of poverty and being in the post-war period where we had nothing. And I was just yeah. like, wow, okay, yeah. So <laughs> one person's nostalgia is another person's quite heavy memories. And yeah. so for someone like him, um, he used to say that you know he, he very rarely liked to eat out anywhere in the neighborhood because he said, no, 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 these places are all dirty. Like, you know, the food there is bad quality, et cetera, et cetera. It reminded him of the old days, not interested in the least. And so he would probably think that like tearing down these streets was a really good thing because he's a guest. It should be more modern, should be cleaner. Yeah. And of course, you're keeping uh, keeping that family tradition of, of not eating the horrible food going um, even no, into no, the 21st that's, century. That's so. only in the jazz joints. I'm a very, <laughs> very strong supporter of my local yakitori shop. <laughs> so listen, you mentioned Shimoki Tozawa there. And we're going to finish up there today um, because it is a place, um, you know, uh, very, very, very special to me. Um, and I spent a lot of my time uh, both uh, going out there and, and for the latter part of my time in Japan living there. But before we do that, we're going to nip to a couple of other places, which again, in, in, in keeping with the theme of today's episode, are also closed. Tom, what about Tom? Uh, slightly mysterious place. Uh, I do remember, of course, going to it and I do remember taking these photographs. But if I'm not mistaken, it was very early on in the project, I think. I think it was extremely early. It might have been, you know, maybe within the first month, most likely. I think so. Yeah, um, yeah Tom was in a, a neighborhood called Asagaya uh, on the west side of Tokyo, which is well known for the Asagaya Jazz Street, which happens every October actually, uh, which is a whole weekend of indoor and outdoor gigs. And so Asagaya's got a whole bunch of little jazz joints. We talked about Misty 
there, I believe, on a, on a previous uh, yeah, of course, a, a previous episode. So yeah, Tom was a place that I actually used to go because uh, I lived along that train line, and um, it was really interesting because, um, as you can see, you captured the 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 sign that that kanji is not the particularly easiest one to read, um, but it was sort of a pun on the owner's name, which I believe was Tomohiro, um, who loved basically the two things that I love most in this world um, outside my family. I should probably that uh jazz and, and baseball oh beer is ja- not making the cut ja- jazz and baseball thought guinness would be in the top two i can't believe it shocking gonna have to go back and re-edit all the other episodes <laughs> jazz and baseball that's something uh, gone. look you look at the fourth photo and you can see what we're talking about you see up on the up on the left side above the albums are a whole bunch of signed baseballs um, that the mm. owner there had, in addition to what had to have been at least two to three thousand records, yeah. Um, and you know, n- no, nothing to rail against about Tom closing. Um, he just got old. He was old. He was unwell. Uh, I believe he, uh, his daughter, was there working and helping him out. Um, once he became a little bit too infirm to run the place, uh, but she basically said that she she couldn't run the place by herself. Um, she was just helping out, didn't really have any interest in running a jazz cafe, and so they closed the place down. Um, I heard that they sold half of the record collection. I uh, don't know what happened to the other half. Maybe it's still in his home. Uh, would be a shame if they were just thrown into some dusty attic space. Um, but yeah, Tom was one of those neighborhood spots. Again, we've talked so many times how, you know, only in Japan can you be in a little outskirts neighborhood and there'll be a place like this. Yeah, it was a gorgeous place. I, I think, you know, it sticks out to me photographically for a couple of reasons. That very long painting, I'm not sure what the provenance of it is. I mean, it, it has the sort of look initially of a, of a New Orleans style funeral but then when you look at it a little bit more closely it it seems much more in line with kind of um black panther era propaganda and and sort of imagery as well you know there's a lot of militants and uh you know sort of power in in the expressions of of the uh, faces of the people in the painting but something perhaps that we don't expect to see uh, in the average Japanese jazz kisa as well. So that really stood out for me. We mentioned again, without rehashing previous episodes, you know, about generally speaking, the lack of, of um, um, political slogans and political materials um, that you find in these places, with the exception of maybe samurai, of course. And, you know, it tends to be all about the music and it tends to be about these musicians. And yet there's this fantastic painting on the wall with this old um, decrepit uh, oil lamp hanging above it, which I just thought for me, you know, from photographing so many of these places was a really unusual image. And I suppose then that links really nicely with... Um, Max Roach, the Max Roach album on display uh, mm. in the in the bar counter, which again, huge, huge wide counter and just so mm. beautifully laid out and so mm. much stuff on that counter, very neatly organized, not just the records, but like you say, the baseballs, the drinks, the snacks and everything else. I love the globe. Uh, I mean, mm. I don't I don't know again, why it's there. Unusual. It's taking yeah. up a lot of space, but you've got the globe, you've got the little 
the, the knight <laughs> next to him with his shield. Um, Don't forget got the, the sheep. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and then okay, he's in between some some vodka bottles and Campari, um, and then your your favorite, the snacks, which you always uh, help oh, yourself yeah. to. Um, you know, so yeah, he it's it's the the bric-a-brac, as you'd say, I guess, of of the place. And look up top above, he's got the cow up there on on the uh, on the top, mm. um, and what looks like some kind of scale. I don't know what that is next to the old radio. Yeah, it's an old weighing scale, I think. And you can see even just behind that, there's an old kind of Showa era sign as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, a real repository of just like, you know, decades and decades of collecting things as well. Right on the fridge, too, if you if you zoom right in, um, you can see um, a little Doug um, yes. coaster there <laughs> just tucked in the fridge. And we haven't talked too much about Doug yet, but we will be coming back to it in a different episode. And I think that's a Blue Note coaster just next to it mm. with a number. So again, if you go to the Blue Note in Tokyo, you'll often get a table number so that Doug you can is, settle um, up your and, bill. And we will, we will be having a very special episode about Doug, but it's it's probably the, the matchbook slash coaster that you see the most uh, in other cafes. Yep, yeah. For reasons we will Definitely, get into, but yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought Tom was just gorgeous, and um, yeah, I, I love the fact that uh, that you know, he would put the albums on, and you know, some places we've, we've joked about how the volume can be a little bit overwhelming, even when you're really digging it. You know, um, I remember because. Tom was one of those places that, for some reason, kept the volume very low. I had that in my notes. It's like the volume That's here is right, low, yeah. I and I'm not sure that. if that was just a nighttime thing. Uh, maybe because it, you know, they just wanted people to have the chance to talk or whatever. But it was one of the things that stood out to me. Um, the baseball came because he was actually a manager of a local team, like a community baseball team, and it played when he was in high school. So okay. all of those balls go back probably to when he was playing mm. in the late fifties. Um, I mean, again, that those that's wonderful memorabilia. Yeah, just a, just a fantastic place. That was Tom, and um, yeah, I mean. We sort of started on quite a positive note, I suppose, and hopefully we'll end on one. But uh, we're really down in the in the sort of the trough at the moment after the the peaks of previous episodes, for sure. Uh, and the next place we're going to go to is is a place that you referenced, I think, in last week's episode as well, because you were casting aspersions on my um, social etiquette and uh, also, I think. Uh, incriminating my wife uh, and her need to go to the toilet into the whole story. But the the next place we're going to go to, which is also sadly closed for business for good now, is Milestone. Tell us about Milestone, because I know it's a place that's quite close to your heart. Oh, certainly. Milestone, uh, I think, was the second jazz cafe I'd ever been to. Um, it was in Takadana Baba, uh, in between Takadana Baba Station and Wasida, which is where I went to, to school here. And um, it it was so special because I remember walking in and not only was knocked out by those speakers, those gorgeous, gorgeous speakers that you've got a great portrait of, but the entire right wall is filled of books and magazines, which about 90% of which were about jazz. Um, all Japanese, obviously, but at the time I was really, really diving into studying pretty much every day. So I spent, I would probably say I spent at least a good 30 to 40 days in total sitting um, in Milestone for a couple hours um, when I should have been in the library. 
Uh, well, you, know, you were sort it, of it in a library, weren't you? A different kind of library. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't wasn't North Korean politics. It was jazz, Japanese jazz, and and the history. And um, yeah, you can see, you know, the, everything about the place with the plants on the table, that kind of tablecloth. Um, it it kind of stood out to me. It was a very different decor. Even the building with the way those windows were looked rather American. You know, yeah, I, I remember like Japanese that place. in my head. I remember that really sticking in my mind when I went to it you know i thought how it's such an unusual i mean we've seen these kind of buildings maybe you know if, if you were to see that maybe in parts of yokohama or down yokosuka it wouldn't perhaps mm. be so surprising but it's not the kind of building that you expect to see you know in in central tokyo and that really stuck out to me of how unusual it looked like you say it was sort of like that classic kind of like new england american style home that i was <laughs> right, not expecting right. to find when you brought me to it the first time yeah mm-hmm. and the owner uh orito-san a very very quiet guy um always used to be dressed in in uh yukata the japanese sort of uh casual kimono robe um didn't really chat much uh with me or with the customers but was always you know always pretty polite enough and and definitely remembered people um it was the kind of place a lot of locals uh uh, went to for again many many years and i think that he closed down you know not for redevelopment and he wasn't even particularly old i think he just decided that it was just time you know um yeah. he'd run the place for almost 40 years because he'd opened it very very young uh with a couple of friends then he took it over to run by himself and i think he just decided that it was beginning to be too much of a hassle so the last time i went back um he was selling off some of the records not all he was keeping most of them but he was selling off a couple boxes and um sadly you know just one more listening cafe uh bites the dust i don't know what he did with the speakers i heard a rumor that somebody bought it but i couldn't confirm that i would imagine one of his customers would have bought those though yeah i mean you know, really setting out the stall there. Um, in one of the photographs, you can see the one that I took of, of the exterior looking in. Um, not only is there a couple of um, old boys in there with their ties off having a, having a coffee, but uh, very uh, prominently displayed there is the magazine For Men. Uh, and just below that in uh, in kanji there it says men's coffee so you know if you were in any doubt of how perhaps unwelcoming some of these places might seem certainly yes. to women uh, or to female customers uh, they may not necessarily be so but certainly uh, if you were to approach that doorway uh, you might think twice if you are a female potential female customer mm. I think that the photograph of the the sort of shrine like speakers again for me is one that just always bears uh, kind of a second look and and it has um featured in a couple of exhibitions that we've done but i just think you know you have you have this very odd sort of avant-garde kind of cat uh painting in the middle with this quite sort of realistic looking cat sort of nestled in the middle and then this sort of cubist body around it and then you've got kind of permanent ikebana on either side like just couple of random flowers uh, not fresh of course just sticking out these tiny little vases and then you've got the two miles davis albums you've got a carriage clock that looks like the kind of thing that you know people used to be given when they retired from a factory <laughs> after 50 years in, in the uk and then you know on the right hand side you've got this picture and it seems almost like it's the kind of photograph that perhaps he either took or someone that he knows took in america it says they're route 66 uh, and I think 16th or East 16th Street. So 
a real mishmash of of um, <laughs> of imagery, um, of sort of iconography, and again, you know, very reminiscent of a shrine. If you go to any kind of shrine, you see this kind of centerpiece, and then around it, you'll find different drinks or little snacks or um, memorials to people or messages and all these kind of things. And this really is essentially the jazz version of it. And uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. I, I forgot to mention the sort of pink uh, pink and gold sprayed uh, Christmas tree ready for the December you know, 25th. It's, it's, it, this, this picture, and it's, it's great that, um, that this has gotten noticed in the exhibitions um, that we were able to, to share because this picture sort of gives you everything about what these cafes are being in Japan, like this sort of shrine, this attention to detail. Um, you know, obviously you, you mentioned the Ikebana, the Japanese flower arrangement, um, but also the Western influence, not just the jazz albums, but the Route 66, which is, that's the kind of picture you often see in jazz or any um, music bars or cafes in Japan where the owners yeah. have a particular sort of fetish for Americana. And, you know, obviously what could be more Americana than the song Route 66 and the highway, right? So you've got that and then you've got the JBL uh, speakers. And of course, we've mentioned how many shops are named after Miles or Monk or Duke or Bird. <laughs> so your jazz giant uh, legend prominently displayed yeah. um it's yeah it's just it was just a fantastic thing to look at the cats i gotta say i don't dig the cubist cat though i, I don't like him not your thing no i don't like cats in general um and that one looks a little too freaky for me yeah fair enough yeah. well look uh, that was milestone again sadly uh, gone and i suspect probably judging by that building that um it's more than likely the building itself may have been uh, knocked down and, and something rebuilt in its place um, perhaps if you're ever around that area again, you'll be able to swing past and, and kind of confirm one way or the other. Mm. Um, we're going to finish up then in Kichijoji, I think, which is um, on that train line um, sort of going west out of Tokyo past Shimokitazawa. And we've mentioned uh, Kichijoji a couple of times on previous episodes. And I think there's one or two places that we will be visiting in that uh, around that station area uh, in future episodes. But we're going to uh, finish up with the places that have closed or perhaps maybe we're coming slightly out of that trough now uh, because Meg, I think, did close. Is that right? And now it's kind of reopened, but in a non-jazz uh, fashion. Is that right? Or a non-jazz sort of iteration of it? Well, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit uh, vague. Meg uh, is a very was a very, very important um, venue. Um, the owner uh, Terashima-san, well-known as a writer, uh, a journalist, and a producer of compilations for um, over decades. He would put together compilations of Japanese jazz. So a very well-known guy in the scene. Um, recently, uh, a couple years ago, I think he turned 80, and his health was, you know, making it a little difficult for him to go in to run every day. He wasn't really there every day anymore anyways, but I, I think he finally decided to sort of turn over the shop. And now what's really interesting is they, they kept the name Meg, um, but they changed around the concept of the place. They've, they cleaned it up a little bit. Um, it's no longer playing only jazz, and it advertises itself as, a, as an audio room which is, I, I, you know, again, that's not a term. I think it's Music Audio Cafe, actually, in English is how they, they advertise themselves. And um, obviously sort of moving away from the jazz kisaten 
brand or you know genre which is probably not uh, a bad idea really because as we talked about you know a lot of younger people are maybe intimidated by these places or they just don't want to listen to only jazz for three hours so so meg is sort of cleaned up a bit uh turned the focus from just jazz to more of the audio um and uh is now under new management so i've not been by yet to, to take any pictures or to talk to them uh or to even check you know are they still doing any live gigs because they used to do some live gigs on uh, Saturday and Sunday nights. And it's obviously a pretty small room. You can see the drum. That drum set was just there all the time. There was no yeah. storage space. So the drum, the piano, the mics, they were always there under the classic red speakers, which we've talked about before. Um, so, yeah, you know, kind of a, kind of a sad uh, closure. But, you know, maybe that's the best that you can hope for sometimes because, uh, like we talked about, there is a need to maybe redo the whole business model of what these Kisaten are as their customers get older and stop coming. Yeah, I mean, what stands out for me with Meg or what stood out was just how red it is. I mean, <laughs> it's just overwhelmingly red yeah, and those yeah. incredible, incredible red speakers. Mm. I'd never seen anything like that before uh, Before I went there. And, and the only other place I can think of that had them was um, Bird, was it? Uh, Jazz Cafe Bird, I think, uh, has it one was as Bird, well. Bird in Machida. Bird in Machida, yeah. So, yes. you know... Absolutely incredible, but it probably doesn't come across uh, necessarily um, in terms of scale um, when you look at the photograph, but you can also see that there's this really enormous paper mache model of Terashima-san <laughs> sort of sitting in, in uh, like a meditation yeah. pose. Yeah, And you can get a little sense of the scale there if you look, um, look at it next to the chairs, but yes. it was pretty huge right i think it was it was up, raised up off the ground on a shelf and and it was an enormous um sort of paper mache statue of him so those are the things that so visually i think you know meg was a really interesting place to go to uh, there was no one in it that day that we went and even just again for me just the the typography on the sign going up the stairs and also mm. just the modern jazz meg sign i mean i would think it would be very difficult if you asked a designer to to design something that's just as analog uh, and sort of era specific as that now, whether mm. you would really get what you're looking for. And it's just, I wonder in its new iteration, you know, obviously that sign is gone if it's no longer a jazz place, but I wonder have they kept any of that kind of branding or not? I think also the uh, well, toilet. Even the other, even the other one, the, 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 the sign uh, on the other side of the steps is in Japanese. It says, yeah, the one going up the stairs, yeah. yeah, and it says, Jazz of Kikumise, a, place, a shop to listen to jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Back of the second floor. But Philip, do you remember what was next door to Meg? There was a classic, classical music. <laughs> yes, uh, that's right. Classical that's right. kisa, classu kisa. Yeah. I don't yes, know. Classic kisa. It was it was a, it was a classical music cafe and yeah. an old school one because this was one of those old Showa buildings with the you know mm. the, the steps that are outdoors and take you up to the second floor and um, and that classical music cafe was so old school they had a big really sternly worded sign on it talking right. about like you are not allowed to talk in here that's right <laughs> you know so that's uh, maybe when we finish the series we'll we'll get onto our Tokyo classical Kisaten joints uh, podcast series. Oh, yeah. Uh, it might be a short one. <laughs> I think that was the closest I got was the sign, the sign of that one outside Meg. Um, in terms of, like, we mentioned bathrooms a lot, um, which probably there's probably some Freudian reason for. But, you know, I think I felt during the course of the project over those four or five years, 
um, increasingly, you know, m- maybe it was a difference in the kind of places we were going to, but I suspect that where any kind of um, renovation that goes on in these places, if it ever takes place, it tends to be the bathroom, you know, ha- at least have a clean toilet, at least have a clean mm. bathroom. Uh, and I think Meg's bathroom, again, was one of those great places that had been completely untouched. You know, you've got all this fabulous graffiti in Japanese and English, people mm, signing mm, their mm. names. You've even got a message that I noticed from Smiles, which we also went to, and you can find <laughs> on, on TokyoJazzJoints.com. So obviously the owner of Smiles has been there. He signed his name on the toilet wall. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, people love Meg. Um, perfectly acceptable there to sign your name, uh, leave your mark and so on uh, in a more permanent way. And uh, yeah, I mean, just fabulous. And again, I'm sure now, of course, uh, that's probably gone. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it tends to be less of a thing uh, more and more now, I think, as we as we see more and more of these places, you know, this kind of old decrepit bathroom, which, you know, often tells its own story and has its own history. Uh, and it's a shame to see them go. And, and Meg's a beautiful example of, of that record of customers over the years, you know. I've got a uh, a visit planned to Kichijoji in two weeks. So stand by. Did you say Kichijoji? Kichijoji. Kichi I think you said Kichijoji. I did not. You did. I'm going to cut that and send that clip to you back. Absolutely did not. Kichijoji. Total nonsense. Um, Kichijoji. Well, I know it's Kichi, but I'm sure you said Kiki Joji. <laughs> How strong is that Mucho Aloha? Or whatever <laughs> not, it is. Not, not that strong at all. It's 5.2. It's, it's not like the Imperial that I was drinking a couple of weeks ago where things got messy. Fair enough. Um, okay, so that was Meg. Um, so closed, but not closed, but perhaps uh, closed to us, certainly in terms of it no longer really being a jazz kisa as we know it. Uh, and fabulous that we got to photograph it and uh, visit it while it still was. Um, a kind of a pure, if you like, uh, that's a bit of a loaded word, but certainly, you know, it was a genuine jazz kisa as we know it. And so to finish up, um, it's really hard. Again, we talked a lot about Basie over the last couple of weeks, and I suppose if it was still going, probably it would be up there just in in terms of the reverence and and how it's spoken about. And uh, the final place that we're going to talk about, which is a, a really complicated one to talk about it because we never visited it together. We have mm. visited it individually, but probably before we knew each other. Um, mm. And it has actually been closed now for quite a few years, but certainly there's always reminders of it because I know I lived in Shimakidazawa for many years and I remember uh, where it was and I remember how that area has changed where where it used to be. And also, of course, when we've gone to lots of other places around the country, we've often run across either a business card or a book of matches uh, from the one and only Masako. What can we say about Masako? Oh, I mean, unquestionably one of the most beautiful, um, most important uh, most highly regarded jazz kisuten in the whole country. Yeah. Um, you're totally right. I mean, we've seen the matchbooks from Masako in places from Hokkaido down to Kyushu. Yeah, you know, um, you've you've talked to people who who knew her. Masako um, was the owner. She ran it until her death. I believe she died in the early '90s, so it was before you or I came to Japan. Um, but ma- if it had been open now, it would be the oldest place. Um, uh, continuously running in the Kokanto area, the whole mm. Tokyo metro area, since Chigusa moved. So it was open in 52. Um, 
Moscow was one of those owners who was sort of, it's interesting because, you know, we've talked, I think, a little bit. Shimokitazawa is, is an area that in the 1960s was well known as being sort of a hub of like the hippies, a lot of avant-garde theaters, obviously some jazz joints, you know. So she knew a lot of musicians. And um, I remember the first time I walked in uh, to Moscow, I was I was just like, I think my knees almost buckled because it, this a gigantic painting, portrait of her and Mal Waldron, this beautiful oil painting. And I, I just couldn't believe it because I'm a huge Mal Waldron fan. And she was very, very close friends with Mal. He used to come to Japan often and would always go and hang out at Moscow. Philip, imagine you were just there as a customer and you walk in and there's Mal Waldron just having a coffee before I mean, his gig. I'll be honest, you know? it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, after some of the... <laughs> stories that we've come across and the things that we've discovered on this journey but yeah i mean it was just an incredible place it was quite large by ja ja by sort of jazz kisa standards mm. amazing sound system obviously um very close to the station lots of like really sort of comfortable kind of cozy furnishings and lots of like little nooks and sort of snugs yes, around it yes. you know it's very yeah, much it like a, it, it kind of it kind of felt like an old japanese exactly, house where exactly you, you could imagine the sort of shoji doors closing off a corner you know so you could have a little bit of privacy i mean i used to because i when i was in uh, in college in japan in 2003 and 2004 um, I used to live along that train line, you know, a few stops after Shimokita. So I would stop by there all the time and just, you know, by myself just to have a beer and, and, and while away a couple of hours. And, and you never felt that you, you know, were intruding on other customers or that they were intruding on you because it had that sort of space to it. Very unique. Yeah, it was just, it was a, it was an amazing place. Um, I think I was only in it once or twice, tragically, um, and then before you knew it, it was gone. And again, if you're familiar with Tokyo and particularly Shimokitazawa, you know, it, it appeared a few years ago on Vogue's sort of top 10 funkiest neighborhoods in the world or something like that. And it's gone from being, and we mentioned this previously, it's been gone from being quite a bohemian sort of hipster in the original sense of the word uh, area. Uh, a lot of families as well. A lot of, uh, there's a punk scene there. There was a sort of an off-off Broadway theater scene. And really, it's just become a, a kind of a tourist mecca now. And um, mm. one of the cult, one of, one of the um, victims, I suppose, or um, is victim the word? Yeah, one of, one of the sort of victims of that has been, you know, the station area in particular. And it very famously had this kind of cute little uh, sort of village like station area you know it's very sort of cute very twee uh, and there was this desire by developers to build very uh, like a huge uh style station that you see all over japan filled with department stores and, and chain shops and that kind of stuff and unfortunately um you know masako was one of the first places to go as they pushed to kind of redevelop the area around the station and start buying up land and probably the fact that it was so close to the station was what kind of uh, ultimately endangered and, and saw it close. Uh, do we know exactly when it closed? It closed in 2009. So, right, you know, okay. it, it was it was still open for quite a few years um, after Moscow herself had passed away. And, um, well, uh, you know, breaking news, breaking news. Uh, what was the story <laughs> with the monkey? Or The monkey? There was some, so I think, and... I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong here, if anyone else who was in Masako, but I know certainly that on the logo, 
there was some kind of primate or monkey. And if I'm not mistaken, the owner had, as a pet, some kind of monkey that she would walk around the Shimokitazawa area on a lead. Okay. I've heard that story, but I've also heard that that was nonsense. Oh, okay. So I, I but listen, you fake know, news would before it, fake news. There you go. Well, no, but would it surprise you if there was a lady of that age in Shimokitazawa when it was still very bohemian who did have a monkey and walked around the streets with it, knowing that how people take their pets here very seriously? Absolutely not, because um, there was a there's a man who regularly would walk a Shetland pony up and down Chazawa Dori. <laughs> um, there was a man who used to sit with ferrets um, at cafe more breaking news more breaking news as we talked i've just looked it up jazz kisa den masco monkey and there is a lovely picture of her with the monkey inside the jazz cafe fantastic so now that doesn't mean she was walking around the streets right but uh yeah if you if you can um and maybe we'll put this up on our social media we'll put the japanese uh masco jazz kisa den um so you can google it and hit the images and you'll see some great pictures of the interior, the exterior of what it looked like uh, at Shimokitazawa. And also um, you can see the, the oil painting that I mentioned of, of her with Mal Waldron. So there are some good, a little bit grainy, but some good pictures online of the old Masako. Well, James, we promised we'd finish on a high note or at least a positive note. Um, there's not many high notes in our podcast, let's be honest, but let's finish on a positive note. So what is this breaking news? Go and tell us. Very happy breaking news. Masako, unbelievably, after 10 years, reopened, but in a new location in Shimokitazawa, the other side of the station. Um, Not nearly as big uh, as the original spot, but um, I went there last night and a lot of amazing things came together. The woman who runs uh, the new Masako used to work in the old one. Uh, 15 to 20 years ago. So very likely uh, she would have served me a couple of beers uh, on one of my numerous visits. Uh, Her name is Moiko, Moiko-san. And Moiko-san is also a member of the group, the Minyo Crusaders, who are now um, quite a well-known world music group here in Japan. They they mix Japanese uh, traditional folk songs with kumbia and Latin rhythms. I know the band, but I did not know Moiko-san was running the new Masako. So it was quite a shock to find out uh, those two worlds coming together. So I went down last night. Um, It's now in a much smaller space on the second floor of a building, just a couple minutes from the east exit. But she was able to keep almost the entire record collection when the original place closed. Um, She was able to keep some of the great paintings uh, and and decor that was in in the old Masako. Um, Unfortunately, the Mal Waldron painting is somewhere else up in Hakodate at the moment. Um, now, because it was crowded last night, I couldn't get a lot of time to talk with her. She's the only one that works there. She runs the new place herself. Um, but she's even kept the Masako coffee mugs, which, uh, again, if you look up some of the pictures, you'll see Amazing. the Katakana script. So she's even got some of those. And she's got the fantastic record collection. Um, check out my Instagram feed, Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo. You'll see the picture I took last night of the menu and this wall of records. So, um, I, you know, I was really thrilled. And and what was really interesting was, uh, you know, as I did talk with her uh, just for a couple minutes, all of a sudden, two young women came in who were friends of hers, both of whom are musicians, uh, one of whom runs their own label. 
And uh, they said that they, oh, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of the old Kisaten style, like we wouldn't come because we want to talk to each other and sometimes get a bit noisy hanging out. Uh, but but now, you know, it's not a problem to do that, you know, because the owner is fine with it. So she's sort of um, created a, a space that's a mixture of the old classic style. You've got the records, the decor. Um, and, and she's playing full on jazz. I mean, she was playing Joe Henderson and Alice Coltrane last night when I was there. Um, but also allowing customers to come in and have a good time on a Friday night and not be shushed for making noise. Awesome. So um, it's just really great news to know that that this kind of place can still open and bring in new customers. And maybe, you know, maybe there is some hope that they won't all disappear. Yeah, it's just, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I think for me, I just love the fact that they've, um, and again, just to, to reference what we were talking about earlier about this idea of protecting and, and preserving this kind of culture and to see that continuity that's been carried on with the logo and um, the name and, and just even the record collection and, and the mm. people who worked in it and stuff. It's just so fantastic to hear that it's open again. And uh, if I needed any more incentives to go to Japan uh, as soon as possible, I think I just found that it could be this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. I think. <laughs> well, you know, Philip, as soon as you do get back, uh, because now we've got three spots um, in Shimokita to add to our list. We've got Moscow, we've got Hayashi, and we've got no room for squares. So already our first night will be planned out. Awesome. Can't wait. I'll just get on the Aer Lingus website right now once I'm off here. <laughs> also, if they want to sponsor the podcast, please do get in touch. Um, they can sponsor your half of the podcast. I'll have Guinness sponsor my half. I'm a pretty easy customer. Um, I'm not fussy. <laughs> I'll fly economy. Listen, uh, James, that was a long one this week, but I think it's it's worth doing um, a good number on these uh, ones that are closed in particular because, as I've said several times, you know, it really was the original raison d'etre for the project. And it's spun out in different directions since we began it five or six years ago. When we talk about somewhere like Masako, I mean, happily, it's reopened. Uh, of course, it's not the same. Uh, of course, it'll never quite be the same. But the fact that we've been able to preserve, you know, over 130 of these places already, uh, regardless of what happens to them um, in what could be a, a potentially difficult future for many of these places um, is a real privilege. And I'm so happy that we've been able to do it. If you've jumped straight into this podcast at episode 29... I'm talking directly to you. Please go to tokyojazzjoints.com. Check out the photographs. If you want to follow us on social media, at Tokyo Jazz Joints, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are listening to podcasts regularly, please, please, please pop on there and give us a rating and a review. It'll really help uh, increase our listenership and really help get the podcast out to a wider audience. Takes about two minutes. James can check the ones on the Apple Store Japan. I can check the ones on the Apple Store UK and Ireland. And please, please do give us a review if you like it. If jazz cafes or two old blokes just talking about their travels around Japan is not your thing, don't slag it off. Just go and listen to something else. Words of wisdom, my friend. Words of wisdom. Um, yeah, go and listen to my other podcast, OK Jazz. And check out KOL Radio on Mixcloud.com. You hear a lot of great contributors from around the world, including a very special spiritual jazz mix from Yield Dublin Town. Yes. And on that note, James, peace be with you, brother. See you next week, buddy. Take it easy.